0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This season on the podcast, we're chatting with some of our other work friends from across our country who are part of the Youth Unlimited YFC family. We'll hear their stories, why they do what they do, and how they're furthering God's kingdom in Canada. So, shovel your driveway because it's freaking winter, people. Go for a run, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode.
1: Today on the podcast, we're chatting with Iona Snare, who is the Life Team's Associate Director, which you will get to hear a little bit more about what that is. We chat about how to love well, her journey with Jesus, and so many good things. It is rich. It is full. It is amazing. Enjoy.
0: Amazing. Well, Iona officially welcome to work friends we are thrilled to have you here today
2: thank you it's so good to be here with you guys it's good to see your faces and hear your voices
0: <laughs> yeah hopefully one day it'll be in person but this online is uh is okay for now yeah. we are gonna start off with some fun facts so um just a couple of questions for you where did you grow up
2: All right. Well, I grew up in uh, the thriving metropolis of Swan River, Manitoba, which uh, is a tiny little town in northern Manitoba.
0: Awesome. Um, What is your ideal day?
2: Ooh, my ideal day would involve things like um, books and walking, and my husband Robbie, and uh, did I mention books and <laughs> and fireplaces and hot drinks and all of that sort of stuff. Those are good days for me. The the nothing days that that we don't have anything that's expected and nothing required and instead you get to just watch the day kind of form out in front of you as opposed to having to schedule it all in that's a good day
0: I love it you're speaking my language here (laughs) (laughs) if you could have dinner with three people dead or alive who would they be you know, this is
2: a touchy and difficult question because one of the people that popped to my mind was Mother Teresa, and then I thought, mm. oh, but I would feel guilty eating in front of her because I <laughs> eat food and lots of food, and mm. then I think, oh, I shouldn't be eating food. I shouldn't be enjoying food, you know. So it gets all tricky when you think like that. But <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, I would like to meet Mother Teresa. I think she's she's just so absolutely uh, an enigma. You know, she. I don't know. Mm cool. was cool. Uh, I think I'd love to have dinner with, um, there's an author named George MacDonald and he's from a long time ago, centuries ago. And um, he had C.S. Lewis called George MacDonald his master in the sense that he taught him um, from reading George MacDonald, taught C.S. Lewis um, things about God. And uh, George MacDonald just had, like, he was so ahead of his time. He was like, he was questioning the faith of the day in ways that the people in his time didn't even think was possible. And his questions all came out of this picture of the big love of God and his questions and his pushing the margins were all about pushing towards seeing God and his love in bigger and wilder ways. And I just have a feeling he was just probably an amazing dinner guest. <laughs> because he can kind of challenge everything, but in this loving and, and whimsical way. He wrote a lot of fantasy books and children's books, um, as well as other things, and was a preacher. And he had this whole combination of whimsy and fantasy and childlikeness and and just really great theology. So I'd like to have him for dinner. Um, I don't know if he and, and Teresa would get on, but you know. <laughs> you know this is your
0: party. This is my party. This is what I want. <laughs> um,
2: I think I'd like to also have Jesus's mother, Mary, for mm. dinner. Some of the things that I've read, like sort of fictional things, fictional depictions of Mary that I've read, even this Christmas, just made me start to wonder about her and. I really like her like there's just Mm. some stuff about her that was just really um again childlike in her in her trust in her faith and just solid and I I think her eyes were twinkling a lot you know Mm. I think she liked to laugh and I don't know I just I'd like to have her over and and hang out with her for a bit. And then I'd love, love to have a really great chef there too. Ooh, <laughs> yes. Because <Right? laughs> I like good food. And if somebody can prepare it in interesting ways, I'd love to watch and 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 just sit around the counter watching the chef prepare the food while I'm talking with, mm. with my guests.
0: <laughs> well, if it's okay, I would love to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. <laughs> you're in.
2: You <laughs> amazing. The
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh i love it um where's the best place you've been to
2: oh boy that's a hard question i've been to some absolutely amazing places and most of them would never make it into a tourist guidebook or anything like that mm-hmm. because what made them amazing was the people i was with you know mm-hmm. or the situation or the moment um there are so many beautiful places on the earth and I can walk outside my door here in BC and just get my breath taken away. Some days I I'm from the prairies originally and I've been in BC for 30 years. And I honestly, often, if we have a clear day, I suddenly say I live in the mountains mm-hmm. <laughs> been me. for 30 years. It's been shocking me, which probably says something about me, but I'll just leave that. <laughs> but, um, but I think one of the things that comes to mind one of the places that comes to mind is a kiddie pool at a resort in Mexico. Um, My husband and I had had a particularly hard season um, at Life Teams, and we ran away for a week to Mexico at the end of it. Uh, We used a a friend's timeshare, and um, it happened to be hurricane season in Mexico. So there wasn't really a lot of people at this Oceanside Resort, (laughs) and we couldn't even get close to the ocean because it was dangerous. They put up signs everywhere, and there was barely anybody staying at this resort, but everybody who was there was at the main pool. And we just wanted to be quiet and by ourselves. And at the main pool, you know, there was the, the rat guy going, come on, let's, you know, let's dance and all this. And we're just going, oh, come on. And the second day from our hotel room, we spotted this little kiddie pool kind of in the corner of the complex. And we noticed it was empty. And so we rushed down there and we owned that kiddie pool for the rest of the week. <laughs> We just splayed out in the pool and took up as much space as possible. And it was so shallow that you could actually kind of sleep in the water because like your butt's on the bottom, but you're kind of floating, but there's no danger of really drowning. It was amazing. So that was one good spot.
0: That's awesome. I have to say, I was not expecting that answer, but I love it. (laughs) A little kiddie pool in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. If you weren't working at YFC, what would you be doing? Ah,
2: you know, often when Rob and I have dinner parties with Mother Teresa and George McDonald, we um <laughs> we we, all, we will sometimes say to friends, "Okay, parallel life. If you had a parallel life because I love my life so much that I find it hard to say well, if I wasn't doing this, or I'd rather Mm -hmm. do that or anything. So we always say, okay, if you had a parallel life, so this life is complete, and exactly as it is. And then you get to live another one as well. Mm -hmm. So parallel life, what would I be doing maybe is a thought. And that changes for me all the time. But it would have to have something to do with um, With teaching and training um, which doesn't sound all that different from what I do now (laughs) but if I wasn't working at life teams maybe I'd be working um, uh, at a college or something like that um, teaching because I really do love to teach Um, or maybe I would be um, living in another country and um, kind of doing uh, foster care-ish sort of stuff. Um, I really love hospitality. We love to open our home. And so maybe living somewhere where there are children who need places to stay for periods of time and uh, just having having children and adults and stuff living in our home with us. Mm-hmm. Maybe something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like that idea a parallel life, because then you don't feel like you're missing out on the good things exactly. that are have now. I do like you that. You loyal to the life you're living. Yeah.
1: <laughs> We're going to have to adjust this question now for future future times we ask it. I was just going to say, you know, yeah.
2: You can have it. No, no. no all.
0: I'll let you have that one. Thank you so much. <laughs> I feel like your answers to these questions has given us a really good window into who you are and your life. But tell us a little bit about yourself and what life looks like for you.
2: Okay. Well, what does life look like? Um, Looking out my window right now, it looks like there's a lot of snow, which is really unusual. (laughs) Um, But what it usually looks like. uh, So Rob and I have been married for... um, I always forget, but I think it's 30 years or something like that. A long time, a really good long time. And um, we have two sons, Eli and Sasha. And uh, Eli is 24 and just got married in May with one of those giant 10-person COVID weddings. (laughs) It was fantastic. It was really, really fun. So Eli's wife is Liz. And... um, Sasha's our other son and he just moved out again on January 1st and he's 21 and he's studying social work and, uh, and traveling and having a good life, just, uh, caring for people around him and yeah, he's, he's, uh, He loves whatever he's doing, and so he's having a good life with that. Eli and Liz, Eli's a landscaper and uh, has the most soft heart you've ever met. He's a man of compassion, and uh, together they're loving their world. We have a dog named Leo um, that we got a few years ago, and... um, He's interesting (laughs) and we really really are growing to like him. (laughs) We got him before, so he came with some baggage, but you know, I don't mind baggage makes life interesting. (laughs) Um, Right now we just built a suite in our basement. um, And uh, my parents are sort of transitioning into that. They're 90 years old. They live about four hours away from us and um, they're starting to have some health concerns and memory stuff. So um, when the kids, we're moving out we kind of said to god what do we do with this space in the basement and really kind of felt him tell us just build a suite and we'll figure out what to do with it after that so mm-hmm. just make the space and and then god said I'll fill it <laughs> and so right now it looks like he's going to be filling it with my parents and um and that's cool they've they've not moved here but they're learning to live um outside of their independent apartment and mm-hmm. i think they'll probably be moving in here in the next year or so Um, so that's part of what my life looks like. That's family stuff and all of that. Is that what you mean by what does your life
0: look like? Mm -hmm. All right. (laughs) You nailed it. (laughs) Yes.
1: Can be taken however. Well, I am so excited for this conversation and, uh, yeah, it's cool to actually like talk to you more conversationally. I've seen you at some conferences and stuff. I remember the first time I heard about you was at Etta and my first year working at YFC and they were talking about, why are you at YFC? And one of the girls goes, I'm at YFC because I own a snare. And we were like, you own a snare? We were so (laughs) lost. We we all just like, well, I mean, uh, like us from the East Coast, who didn't know you that were new, we were like, uh. And then she explained. So then ever since then, before I officially found out who you were, I remember being like, who is this Iona Snare that has brought these people to YFC and all these things? So yeah, it's kind of fun. That was six years ago. So now to be here in this place is exciting. So um, yeah, we're going to get to know you a little bit more. Um, I mean, obviously, we've already got to hear some fun things about you. Um, But we'd love to hear kind of some background about, you know, where you've come from, who has shaped you into the person that you are. So um, can you just tell us what have been some of the most forming experiences in your faith journey?
2: Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. um I can think of so many different experiences, but the ones that kind of come up to the surface most um, would would have to do with um um, first of all, the home I grew up in, my parents were incredibly hospitable and we just always had people, um, living at our house, coming and going out of our house. And that shaped in me, um, a vision for the hospitality of God, the bigness of mm-hmm. God's heart. Um, I knew that they were hospitable because, um, because of Jesus, not just because they were nice people. And so that shaped in me sort of, um, it almost normalized hospitality that, well, of course you would have people in your home. Of course you would have people in your life. Of course you would make space for those who don't have a space. So that was huge for me. Um, Another thing was when I was in high school, I was just absolutely blessed to have this group of five friends, um, five women who were all a year older than me at the time. And they were from my church. And um, this is just, Almost embarrassing to say, but anyway, we called ourselves the Teabag Club, and because um, we, I don't, I don't even know how that started. But anyway, we had to come up with an acronym for Teabag, so we came up with the Eternal Ageless Abstinent Boisterous Girls Society. I think that's what it was <laughs> that was <a> the <laughs> these women are still friends today um, actually I was in Brandon about uh, two months ago and I got together with three of them and uh, and we spent 24 hours um, laughing and talking about Jesus and so nothing has changed in 35 years <laughs> that's what we used to do in high school is we'd laugh and talk about Jesus um, and those women shaped me in incredible ways and still continue to And, um, yeah, I'd have to say, um, like there's so many other things, but, but one of the other things, um, was, uh, being a foster parent, uh, when I was 23 years old, I was living in Winnipeg and working for Youth for Christ there. And uh, one of my coworkers was Beth Wilton. She was ten years older than me, and she owned this big old house in the north end of Winnipeg with seven bedrooms and really felt like um she wanted to open that home up to young women who weren't appropriate for regular foster care settings uh, because their lifestyle was was um was difficult or um, they were they were being prostituted they were uh, not um, maybe not in a place where they would be uh, healthy for a home. And so um, she asked me to do this with her and, and one other woman. And so we got licensed. I think they must have been desperate for foster parents to license a 23-year-old um, <laughs> and, um, and started having girls living with us in the house. Um, that shaped me so much spiritually because I came to the edge of my own abilities, probably for one of the first times in my life. Mm -hmm. I think I'm one of those people who's fairly competent and I can tend to do the stuff that's before me without very much problem. And that was the first time in my life I came to the edge of that. And I found Mm -hmm. God waiting there (laughs) and saying it's about time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, that shaped me so very much um, to understand the largeness of his capacity to love and to carry and to yeah, and to to fill spaces that felt so very um, uncertain and fearful. Um, mm. I had a lot of questions uh, for him, and uh, he sat quietly often and listened. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and the girls that I that I had the privilege of, of foster parenting are still in my life, and uh, yeah, thirty five years later, they're still teaching me, <laughs> teaching mm-hmm. me so very much about the Lord and about the, the incredible patience of God. Um, so that was a huge experience for me as well. A few years ago, one last thing, a few years ago, our older son, uh, when he was 10, so quite a few years ago, um, he kind of woke up one morning with an anxiety disorder, um, and it has been um, a distinguishing factor in our family dynamic since then. Um, it's had a presence, um, and that has shaped me spiritually really, really a lot as well. Um, mm. so many difficult days and so many times of uncertainty there. And I think I find that God shapes me spiritually in the times of uncertainty far more than in the times of success and, um, accolades mm. <laughs> when things are going well. I may be, um, I cruise on that, but when things aren't going well and the difficult days are there, there's so much more motivation to run to the Father, (laughs) and Mm. the questions just take us deeper and deeper into His heart, and so if we're not in places where we're asking questions, we're probably missing something that Mm. He has for us, and so those have been places, um, those places of asking questions have been places where God has really shaped my heart a lot.
0: Mm. There's so <laughs> there's so many nuggets there that I'm like, pause. Can we talk about this for half an hour? Can we talk about this for an hour? But call me back that day.
2: Here. We'll talk. <laughs> part two.
0: Yes. I. Yeah, I think I'm just struck by God's faithfulness as you share those things because I like Ainsley and I are 24. Yeah. You started working at, at YFC when you were 23, and to hear the things that you were doing then it blows my mind to be like, wow, okay. Um, but I just, I think I'm just struck by the longevity of of your faithfulness to Jesus, to Jesus's faithfulness to you and the way that he's yeah. redeemed you. But you've yeah. also had to say yes as well. So I would love to hear, how did God lead you to serve in vocational ministry? Hmm. Um,
2: I mentioned that I grew up in, in this little town called Swan River. It, it didn't even have like, it had. I remember when the stoplight came into town, the stoplight. <laughs> <laughs> My sister and I would go and we'd push the walk button and walk across and then push the walk button and walk back because it was so <laughs> exciting. But anyway, mm. um, I didn't know many people outside of our Christian bubble in that town. Um, and somehow when I was about 10 or 11, I just remember – this idea shaping in my mind and the words I put on it at that time were that I just really wanted to work with delinquent teenagers. I don't know where I even got those words, delinquent teenagers and I didn't know a delinquent teenager, mm-hmm. but somehow in my mind, there's something that And I think often what happens in life vocationally is that God's heart is broken for all the needs of mankind. And then he takes a piece of that broken heart and, and, and places it in, in each of our hearts. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of finding our vocation is to figure out what piece of God's broken heart has he entrusted us with. And so that was a piece of God's heart that he planted in me. And um, after that, it was like my eyes were just just focused, my ears were tuned to places where there were vulnerable young people and I wasn't even a teenager myself yet so that was kind of weird but when I um, when I began to have that sort of replace that desire to be a Broadway dancer which believe it or not was the thing before that,
1: <laughs> don't ask
2: me know that, I don't even know, <laughs> when um, this new desire came into place I started finding myself... Um, noticing uh, people who were sad, people who were on the edges, people who were um, not at the center of it all, but maybe those who were lingering on the edges and uncertain um, and so yeah, God just kind of kept nurturing and growing that thought in my mind um, so I when I went to Bible school, that was what I had in my mind. Um, And I met a man named John Wilkinson when I was in my second year of Bible school. Mm. He was recruiting staff for Youth for Christ at that time. (laughs) And um, (laughs) they sent him on the road. And uh, John and I sat down and started a friendship that exists to this day. And that was a lot of years ago. And um, John taught to me about Youth for Christ and about youth ministry. And I'm going, yes, that's it. That's the thing. (laughs) That's the thing that I I thought I was going to do, but I didn't know what it was. Mm. And so it sort of placed itself in my mind. And after Bible school, I went to university at University of Waterloo. And um, I studied, um, it it was called social development studies at that time, which now would be called child and youth care. And uh, all the time preparing to work with this population that my heart so longed to work with mm-hmm. um and um yeah so it's sort of been a long obedience in the same direction it's just mm-hmm. um god invited me to something and i just kind of kept finding my way to the next step toward it um experiences at camp experiences with uh, friends who were struggling experiences in group homes all of those kind of came together mm-hmm. to, to just keep affirming that that was where i wanted to be So, yeah, it's, you know, it's a long story with many little, little bits to it, but it's, it's a story of one step after the next step after the next step after the next.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mm. I love it. I think also, too, I'm reminded that, like, for you to know that this is what you wanted to do without knowing the specifics at such a young age and being drawn to that, like how important it is to encourage young people, but younger people yet to, um, yeah, that God has a calling for their life. And to mm-hmm. hear how that has played out in your own life is so encouraging. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and I think part of it is that there was nobody who scoffed at my dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, my
2: parents didn't roll their eyes and say, oh, what do you know? You should be an accountant. <laughs> 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 there was nobody who said, um, no, that's not, you can't do that. Or that doesn't exist. Or that's not, you know, specific enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that really helps. And when you just said about encouraging young people and younger people, um, I always feel that that dreams may not be destinations, but they're directional. Mm
0: -hmm. So
2: having a dream actually pulls us in a direction. And we may not end up at that dream. You know, that dream may not be our final destination, but if we didn't have that dream, we wouldn't have moved that direction and discovered those things that were waiting for us on the way. Maybe these things that even fit better than the original dream, but mm-hmm. we wouldn't have found them if, if we didn't, if we didn't start down that path.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> i <laughs> I think I've said it a few times in different podcast uh like conversations and stuff like that. You know, you're supposed to have a nice little transition into the next question. All these sometimes there is no transition. It's just (laughs) so good. (laughs) So thank you. Um along with so you've been working with or yeah, at YFC for a long time. And um, I'm sure your role has kind of shifted and changed and morphed over the years. But right now, a big part of what you do, if not the part of what you do, is working at Life Teams. So we would love to hear what Life Teams is and what you do specifically. I'd
2: love to tell you about Life Teams. (laughs) It's It's been a real joy on the vocational journey. Um, When my husband and I started Life Teams 21 years ago, um, Andy Harrington was the director in in Greater Vancouver then, and uh, he um, approached us about this, and we said, okay, we'll give you two years tops. (laughs) We'll do this for two years, and we'll get it started, and then hand it off to somebody else. But the two years is now almost 22 years, and and (laughs) And it's been, it's been a delight. It's been really great. God has shaped Rob and I both and our marriage and our family through this ministry and given us the joy of being able to be part of shaping other people's lives as well. What Life mm-hmm. Teams is, is um, it, it's two different things. Um, the purpose of Life Teams as a, a ministry and a, a both programs of Life Teams, the purpose is to engage the people of God with vulnerable teenagers in a way that's going to transform both in the process. Mm-hmm. We really recognize that as we become involved with people who are, um, people who are struggling, people who are searching, people who are uncertain, we are going to be changed. And so when Rob and I began to think a lot of years ago about um, impacting young adults, we realized that one of the biggest ways that we had both been transformed was to have opportunities to be in the lives. of of people who were struggling and Mm -hmm. that's so transformative for us because again you come to the end of yourself so very quickly when you haven't got the answer and you haven't got the quick fix and you don't even have a clue what to say next Mm -hmm. and when you come to those places there's so much space for God because we start taking Mm -hmm. up less and less of the space because we have less and less to offer as the Mm -hmm. needs around us get bigger and bigger. And so we, um, yeah, we started Life Teams, uh, the original program to be a ministry training school. Uh, it's a one-year certificate program. It can form one year of a four-year degree, or it can be a standalone. Um, but we work in cooperation with um, with different Bible colleges uh, to make this one year of, of many or <laughs> one year of, of, you know, just investing in the lives of vulnerable teenagers. So students come to us, uh, we take a group of 10 every year and they come for eight months and they live in community in this beautiful retreat center on the side of a mountain outside of Abbotsford. Mm-hmm. And what they do is um, they spend half their week in uh, in academic, uh, hands-on academics. So there are instructors and there are courses like at college but it's very, very practical and it's all about uh, learning to love young people well. Um, it's learning to understand who God has made us to be, who he is, who young people are, and how when all those three come together, some really wonderful things can happen. Uh, so half of it is classes. Uh, another half is uh, a youth work pl- practicum. And so our students are um, matched in teams with veteran youth workers And they work alongside of them, learning the ropes from those who have worked with vulnerable teenagers for a lot of years. Um, And then on top of that, there's mentorship and there's uh, outdoor activity stuff, uh, adventures, um, just a lot of different things to create places of challenge in in young adults' lives. Uh, What you come out with at the end is um, a greater sense of who you are and who God is, uh, some really great skills for youth work that you've practiced. And uh, some information that you've tested, you know, so mm-hmm. you learn on Monday maybe about um, self-harm. And on Tuesday, you're um, at your youth replacement talking to a young person who's been self-harming all weekend. Mm-hmm. And you come back on, on, on the next day and you say, hey, that stuff we learned in class, it didn't work. <laughs> and so then we say, okay, well, what did we miss? What did you miss? What are we not able to bring? What... Is the combination of what we can bring, what God brings, and what they bring. Um, And so there's a lot of discussion, a lot of debriefing, a lot of conversation, but it ends up being a pretty solid training place for life, for ministry, um, and uh, a place that people stay connected to for a very long time afterwards. So that's the ministry training school part. Um, About uh, six years ago, we started a second part called Life Teams Resources, And I head that up as a resource resource coordinator. So I just, I I create things um, to help youth workers love well. And uh, what my deep desire there is the same as with our life team's desire. We want people to be transformed in those opportunities to care for young people. Um, And we want young people to be transformed as they are being cared for. And so we create videos, help sheets, uh, books. Uh, I travel around and do training and workshops and all that stuff for youth workers and volunteers and for parents now as
0: well. Mm-hmm. So that's what the Life
2: Teams ministry model looks like.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. If I wasn't already working at YFC, I'd be like, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, right. so good. So cool. And we've reaped the benefits of the things that you're mm-hmm. doing. And so if you're listening to this, pause the episode, go to lifeteams.ca, check out all the resources that they have because it is <laughs> so good and so mm-hmm. practical and very valuable your turn now Ainsley. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I just echo that. It's, it's, it's really awesome. We actually just like only a few weeks ago with our drop-in volunteers, we looked at, um, some of your videos and we're showing them how they could go find stuff. So it's not only a great resource, it also makes our lives easier because when it comes to training volunteers, we can just use those resources. So it's, uh, yeah, multi-level, uh, Mm -hmm. opportunity there for people. So,
2: we, we are working at developing new resources every month. And so mm-hmm. we put out a monthly um, uh, a resource blast newsletter. And so people can just sign up for it on the lifeteams.ca website. But um, last month was about trauma-informed youth work. This month is about depression. Uh, we really work at making these practical uh, pieces of information that you can take and, and, and walk into a coffee time with a young person and apply mm-hmm. the day after you read them. So yeah, we, we really hope that this is useful. So thanks for that affirmation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's great. Um, yeah, obviously, I mean, they can't see your face, people who will be listening to this, but we can see your face and just the way that you light up when you talk about that. And it's just mm-hmm. neat to see how God has like put this spark in you and you're just so excited about this. And yeah, I think it's so neat that you sort of by third party now, impact so many youth by building into youth workers, um, and, you know, different people for like through teaching, through the school, through all those things. So, um, just tell us exactly, like, why are you so passionate about equipping people to lead well? And I like how you say to love well.
2: Hmm. Hey, I'm glad you made that change because actually I'm not, I'm not terribly, um, passionate about equipping people to lead well. Um, Mm. I'm really passionate about equipping people to love well. I just think that that's the whole point. <laughs> when I read scripture, it's like it comes down to this, you know, loving is what it comes down to. Um, if we can get that right? here on earth, then we will be um, we will be living out the message of Christ. We will be bringing the kingdom of God to the places where we're at, and we will become most fully alive when we are loving well. If we are made to, to, to do this because we're made in the image of a loving God, um, then if we are doing it well, we will become more and more, we will flourish more and more. And so I'm passionate about it because I think it doesn't just change the world, but it changes us. Mm-hmm. um and and as it changes us then um you know then then we become closer and closer to this person god created us to be and then the world around us begins to change we begin to actually um seep out <laughs> into the places that we go i don't know why i'm passionate about it except that god's put it inside of me and i guess i i I don't know. I just I can't imagine living in any other way. (laughs) So yeah, I am passionate about teaching people to love well. Um because I just I just think it's just so, so important. But more than that, it's just it's the
0: main thing. (laughs) I think it's Mm -hmm. the main thing. Mm -hmm. Well said. As you (laughs) as you think and reflect over the last however many decades it's been that you've been in ministry, what have been some of the greatest joys and greatest challenges? hmm greatest
2: joys are you know honestly speaking greatest joys are individual conversations where you see a light go on Mm. or even for me teaching a class or doing a seminar where you just see in someone's face that they just got a deeper and and wider picture of the heart of god and and you got to be a part of of just clearing the way for that. That's been the biggest joy for me. Just watching someone get it, get who God is, and 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 get how He cares for them, and 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 what He wants for them, and and to find just to see someone be released by that, released by by understanding what God really wants for them and how he sees them. And and watching people be released by that is just the greatest joy. Um, Doing Mm -hmm. listening prayer with people and having them encounter Jesus and having him speak directly to them about something that has been just holding them back for so long and watching it just fall off of them and, and them walk away in new freedom. Oh, that's a joy. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mentoring at Life Teams has been such a joy for me because that's what I get to do every week through mentoring. Um, And I'm not mentoring anymore. I've moved out of that position, and I have some wonderful new staff that have taken that over. And for me, as I supervise them and watch them be filled with joy at watching the girls that we mentor flourish as they find freedom in Christ – that's sort of like second level. Do you know what I mean? Like the once removed, Mm -hmm. I get joy at their joy in seeing the freedom that happens. Um, as people are, are, are just encounter, encounter the love of God. So that's a huge joy, huge joy. Mm -hmm. Um, challenge. I don't know. I, you know, I like challenges. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, I really like challenges. I like figuring things out. I like coming across something that I don't understand or don't know what to do with, and then trying to figure out how to um, how to change that thing or change myself or um, add something to the situation. So the challenge is actually changed to being something that actually could possibly even bring good. So I do like challenges. There have been a few hard times um, where there is no way to change the situation. It just mm. sucks and that's it. And those are hard, you know, when someone has just made a bad choice and it the ripple effect of it is going to affect them for their lifetime. And I can't, mm. I, just, I, I just, that's hard, yeah, watching individual choices that have large ripples come out of them. Yeah, those are challenges, I guess, that that go beyond fixing (laughs) Mm -hmm. those are the hard ones Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
2: but there's so much joy there is so much joy and so much of that joy comes out of watching others and seeing the hand of God at work in their lives
1: Hmm. what a gift (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I think we uh actually, I was, I was on last week with the podcast and Jen had asked me, what was the joy and the challenge? And I said, people are the joy and the challenge because walking with people is hard, but yet, like you said, that there's joy in, in sharing and, in just the love of Christ and just in life with them, um, in those things, but it's kind of that double-edged sword because then you also, you don't just get their joys, you get their challenges too. And so it's all part of it.
2: Yeah.
1: So true. So true. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, and speaking of challenges, we are, I mean, still in the midst of what has been a challenging season for everybody over the last, it's, you know, coming up on a year or two years, which is kind of crazy. Um, and so through this kind of pandemic over the last 21 months, um, how would you say that you have seen God work in this season? Hmm. You know, I, I have,
2: um, like everybody, we all have individual experiences of the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. and some of the way that we have been impacted, impacted by it has to do with our own personalities. I think, you know, I think different personalities have reacted in different ways to the challenges of the pandemic. Different things have been a challenge to us, depending on mm-hmm. our personality. Um, one of the things places i have seen the hand of god is um in our life teams program we have had to pivot like so many other programs we have had to um wake up on monday and say so what's today gonna look like mm-hmm. um, and and we have um you know we, we have 10 college students that are there um f- to have content delivered to learn through experience to have a um a community living, um, you know, time together and, and uh, have mentorship. And suddenly, you know, we can't uh, recently with the floods in Abbotsford, the access to our, our building washed away when a bridge that we used to get over there washed away. And our students were actually, Um, isolated up on a hill Uh, we couldn't get at them and the internet went down and so the only contact we had was either evacuating them through helicopter or talking to them on the phone and we had 10 days of classes to try to figure out and things like that Um, and I saw the hand of God in so many ways through that and all the other pivot points that we've had to have in the last 21 years because God has continued to bring the right things at the right time through the right people Mm -hmm. Um, things that that took care of our needs. I think I've seen God be the all-sufficient one over Mm -hmm. and over and over. Um, El Shaddai is one of the names of God, and uh, I've heard it said that that can be translated as as the God who is enough. Mm -hmm. And I have seen God be enough over and over and over through the last 21 months and way beyond. (laughs) I have seen Mm -hmm. God be um, the present and provide in unusual ways. And I have seen him even stir up creativity and cause, um, you know, the, the verse, all things work together f- for the good of those who, who are called according to his purpose, who love him and are called according to his purpose. That verse actually means that all things can be redeemed. Um, works together for good in the Greek actually means can be redeemed. So all things can be redeemed for the sake of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I've just seen thing after thing be redeemed over the last 21 years.
1: Mm-hmm. Things that we
2: thought were, oh, no, how can this now change? What do we do with this? And time after time, God has redeemed, um, redeemed things that we thought were, were not going to be worth anything. And he's caused them to be worth far more than we could have made them worth if we were only relying on our own strategies and our own schedules, mm-hmm. it's made things worth so much more because his hands have needed to be far more on it <laughs> because mm-hmm. we have been removed from it by, by the pandemic, by the floods and by all sorts of other things. So yeah, mm-hmm. hand of God all over this time, hard mm-hmm. stuff all over this time. So many people with so many really, really Difficult, life-changing things that have happened through this time. Um, And yet I can still say unequivocally, God is sufficient. He is Mm -hmm. enough. He is the all-sufficient
0: one. Hmm. I think it's so interesting how Ainsley and I put these questions together before Obviously, this conversation, so that we're prepared and all those fun things. But some of the themes that we are kind of thinking of, oh, I hope Iona kind of touches on this. Like like you're saying them without us even communicating <laughs> them with you. And um obviously, you said before about those really difficult seasons are often the time. Well, you said that those are the seasons where your faith has grown the most. And, um, and you've talked about that, right? Like God changing you. And so as you think and reflect on your time, specifically serving in ministry, how has God changed you specifically? Hmm. I think one of the ways God has changed. So this one class at Life
2: Teams that we do, we talk about, um, living in the rescue. So our salvation, salvation means, um, rescue, we have been rescued. Um, And often if you've grown up in a Christian home, like I did, I became a Christian when I was four. I wasn't really rescued from a life of sin and degradation, you know, (laughs) like at the age of four, I wasn't, you know, um, wielding a knife and uh, (laughs) wanting for murder. Um, (laughs) And so when we think about, well, well, what have I been rescued from? Sometimes it can be really hard to think about that, but we need to think about that for us to rejoice in our salvation and for us to realize the grace of God. We need to be blown away by what he has rescued us from. So in this class at Life Teams, we talk about that and we talk about, so what? who would you have been? Who would you have been? without Jesus, without following Jesus, without um, being empowered by Jesus, without the spirit living inside of you, who would you have been? And so when I was first forming this class, I had to sit and think about this, because we never ask questions of others that we don't first answer ourselves, and so (laughs) I had to sit and think about that, and I started to realize that without Jesus, I would have probably still been like a social worker or a counselor. I would have been someone who was building into the lives of those who were struggling. I would have still been that. But what I would have been is somebody who would have been so burnt out because of what I needed to do to save the world. (laughs) And um, that's what God has rescued me from. He's rescued me from needing to save the world. And when you ask, how have I been changed? How have I been transformed? I think I'm learning more and more to live in that rescue. Mm -hmm. Because even though God rescued me from needing to save the world, I keep forgetting that.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And
2: over and over, it becomes about what I need to do. And then the need in front of me becomes my God. Because it's the one that begins to require my allegiance and and require that I give all. And the need in front of me becomes like an idol. And I start to meet needs as, as my way of feeling fulfilled. And like I'm being who I need to be and doing what I need to do. And yet as I do that, I feel emptier and emptier. And living in the rescue means that I stop and I acknowledge that you are God and I am not. (laughs) And through time, God is transforming me to be able to live more and more of my days within his rescue. More and more Mm -hmm. of my days, I get to live not as God (laughs) and not even as God's little helper or assistant. Mm -hmm. I remember a friend saying to me once, in that story about the shepherd and the sheep, which role are you? (laughs) And I went, I think I'm the assistant shepherd. And she goes, yeah, that role <laughs> into the play. So I, that's, that's a transformation in me. I'm getting to be a sheep more and more. I get to live as a sheep and, and lean on my shepherd and not need to help him out, not need to impress him and not need to show him how much I love him by all that I'm doing. But instead, I get to, I get to be a sheep. And that's been pretty great. <laughs>
1: Wow, this conversation has been very life giving. It's actually, it's been, it's funny because you're, it's the afternoon where you are. It's quarter after seven in the evening in Ontario, but this has like got me hyped for the evening. I am like not ready to go to bed now. I'm just like jazzed. So, thank you so much for, yeah, all of this, and uh, I'm excited to ask you this question. We ask every guest this question, and that is, what is the best piece of advice you have been given?
2: Mm. you know what that piece of advice would have to be um something that i learned from beth wilton when we first started doing foster care together um beth doesn't remember ever saying this uh, but i know she did because uh, god used it to change the trajectory of my life (laughs) um what beth said to me happened after one of our young women who um I love dearly. Uh, Nancy came home um, drunk for the umpteenth time and in the middle of winter um, didn't have her shoes on because she had left them somewhere and didn't know where. And they were even my shoes that she had worn out of those and left somewhere. Mm-hmm. And she was a mess and I was a mess. And I just felt really done. And I said to Beth, Beth, I can't do this anymore. I just, it, it, nothing is changing. I've been giving everything I have to Nancy and to the other girls for the last four or five months and or six months, and Nancy's getting worse, not better. Um, I, I, like, I'm not doing any good. <laughs> I might as well quit. Um, nothing is changing despite all the effort that I can give besides doing my very best. And Beth said to me, yeah, okay, then you probably should quit. And I'm going, no, no, this is where you talk me into staying, you know. And she goes, no, I won't talk you into staying here. Because she says, if you are doing this so that Nancy will change, then you've got to get out now. Mm. He said, Iona, you need to learn to love people because of what God is doing inside of you, not so that they will change. Mm-hmm. And she said if you are loving people so that they will change eventually you're going to get bitter at them for not changing or you'll feel like a failure yourself or you'll start to shake your fist at God because he's not doing his job he's not holding up his side of the bargain but if you can love people because of what God is doing and has done inside of you then you're doing the first John thing where we love because he first loved us <laughs> And that's as simple and as complicated as it gets. But if we can learn that, everything changes. I no longer need to require that people, um, that there be a product for my love. Mm -hmm. I no longer need to ask for a return on my investment (laughs) because I am not actually investing in them. Instead, I'm overflowing from God's investment in me. And boy, does that make a difference in ministry but it makes a huge difference in life and that's what allows you to do this for a long long time and to not grow weary because it's not about you and them it's about you and god Hmm. that's a good place to be
0: Hmm. i just want to say number one thank you number two This kind of feels like, not kind of, it does. It feels like sacred space. I think these moments where we kind of pause and take time to reflect, talk about Jesus. We have never had this personal interaction conversation before. Although, like Ainsley said, we've seen you at conferences and have used your resources (laughs) and stuff like that. So we feel like we know you. But this is just a huge gift. So thank you so much, Iona, for your faithfulness for your encouragement and for saying yes to Jesus and being faithful to him because we reap the benefits of it. And I really hope and pray that the people listening to this um, are encouraged, are challenged. But yeah, thank you so much for like your life points to Jesus and, and the things that you do, whether it's with your home or it's ministry or whatever it is. So thank you for taking the time to be with us. We really, really appreciate it.
2: It's been good to be here. I've appreciated talking to you too. Thanks for taking the time to listen.
1: Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you will not want to miss. So make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever on whatever podcast platform you're on so you never miss a Monday episode. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Just Work Friends. We share resources, quotes, and more information about the podcast, so you can check that out there. So until next time. (laughs) Bye-bye. Have a fantastic Monday or whatever day you happen to be listening.
0: Toodaloo. Have a great week. (laughs) (laughs)